Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Good morning. Hi, Tom. Hey, I, I did just want to say it might have sounded amazing for you, but it didn't sound so amazing for me. I don't know if others, there was a little bit of crackling. Um, mm. So, you, you, yeah, pretty choppy. But, but I'm glad it was amazing for you. Well, I enjoyed it. Sorry, guys. That's all right. Sometimes, you know, these things are amazing for one party and less amazing for the other. If you catch my drift. I did. I was trying to think of a witty way to, to, <laughs> to say something about that. I was just like, man, yeah. I feel bad for some people. Oh, boy. That was, that was good, Tomer. Thanks. Thanks. Like I said, I'm glad it was good for you. Um, oh, yeah. It was good for me. Mickey, good morning, Aunt. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, oh. guys. I think we got Jordan over here on the Bitcoin Veterans handle, yeah? Yeah, good morning, everybody. Morning, homie. Big day, or I should say, yeah, big day today. Tonight's going to be a killer show. We got Corey coming on. Looking forward to that. Hello to Dom Bay in the audience, throwing you an invite, although you're probably adventuring in El Salvador at the surf, doing vacationing things. Uh Macro, morning out there in the audience. Good morning to all you Cafe Bitcoiners out there who hang out with us every time. Appreciate all you guys. Yo, I'm back. I'm back on U.S. soil. Are you back? Welcome back, man. Welcome home. Do you wish you were still there? <laughs> you know what? Um, I had a, It was a long trip. So it's good to be back home, man. El Salvador is sick, but uh, I'm pumped to be back in the U.S. Won't lie. So good times, though. Right on. Oh, shout out to Proof of Ink in the audience. These guys were uh, at Pacific Bitcoin. They do some really sick stuff. You should check out their handle, their website. Very cool. Yeah, I love those guys. They make awesome shirts. Yeah, man. Okay, today is Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin, episode 477. Man. Shoutouts to our supporters on Fountain and Nostranets. Nostranets. Our mission for this show is to provide the signal and a sea of noise, TTOs, and billing people on this planet why there is hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. Today, 
there is just so much to talk about. We've got cyber warfare, CBDC, stable coins, a whole slew of new Bitcoin millionaires this year, apparently. So yeah, we'll dig into that. The second hour, we've got Adrian, Patrick, and Bjorn from Penguin Digital joining us at the end of the show. Get a little update from them. Morning, Peter. Good morning. What's Penguin Digital? I don't know so much. We're going to find out. They were at Pacific Bitcoin. So, yeah. I, I don't know. how. Sometimes people get scheduled into this show and I don't actually know how it happened. <laughs> Jacob's like, he's the machine. Anyway, uh, did you guys see San Pingsisco? No, what is that? San Pingsisco? It's the streets being cleared and not American, not one American flag in sight as uh, the Chinese delegation comes down the street. Oh, I did see that. I thought y'all were talking about some cool new thing. Mm. So, yeah, so it is a cool new, well, I don't know about cool. I think it's uncool, but it is a new thing. So apparently the the streets of San Francisco, all the homeless disappeared. The streets were cleaned miraculously all of a sudden. And the streets were lined with red flags of China everywhere. Not a single American flag in sight. It's amazing what you can accomplish uh, regarding the homeless when you have an authoritarian state willing to crack down on it. It just makes me wonder. It's like, well, look, if you can do that for Xi Jinping, like, why can't you normally do that unless you actually want it that way when Xi Jinping's not around? I don't know. It's weird. Because, Alex, if you simply go one block, one city block over, you'll probably find all of those people that were displaced from the parade route. Mm, fair point. It's fair point. I still think... Go ahead, Macro. I was going to say, it's kind of like when uh, people come to visit North Korea, you know, and all the shops have the fake food in the windows to make it look like they're prosperous. Meanwhile, two blocks over, everyone's starving to death. It, it, similar vibes to me. Are they, re are they really starving to death, though? Do we know that? I mean, you know, we thought, we thought it was pretty bad in, in eastern Germany, um, you know, in the 80s. And it turns out it wasn't quite as bad as it as it was portrayed to be. As a matter of fact, almost all the images we saw were in black and white, um, and they were also from from winter. You know, and at the time, I didn't I didn't even question it. I just assumed, yeah, that's that's the way it is over there. But it turns out that we were pretty wrong about that, and we were being fed uh, information um, that may or may not have been true. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I have multiple firsthand accounts from family members that were living in that area at the time. And I'm not saying that it was like, you know, maybe as bad as some of the U.S. propaganda put it out there to be. But my girlfriend's mother's Polish and she lived through communism in Poland and then fled to the U.S. once they were able to. And all of her accounts of it are pretty dismal in comparison to, you know, what we still have here today. So I don't know. I, I'm not saying I, um, I guess I'll just leave it at, I think there's a lot of truth to it. 
perhaps things are not always completely terrible, but I'd still say pretty bad in comparison to at least things here in the past. I would imagine that it's it's much like coverage of a war. Like, they're showing you the worst of the worst, and it doesn't mean let, that it's like that everywhere all the time. Uh, it's just a sample size, but it's it's still bad that it's like that. Yeah, I mean, they still serve beet soup all the time, and, you know, they have this fancy name for it. It's borscht, and I'm like, no, this is just like red dirt water, and you guys go crazy for it, and I just, I just don't get it. I want steak, you know? <laughs> it's like a marketing trick, you know? We're going to name it this really cool name. Yeah, we're going to call it Borscht. Yeah, but at the, at the same time, though, at the same time, I mean, think about the images of the United States that other countries, you know, send to their citizens, you know? Okay, so this is the part that this is the reason why I brought this up. It's the signaling, the imagery that's going on here. You know, the Chinese people and and also not just the Chinese people, but all human beings are very, uh, what's the word? We're very affected by symbolism. Whether we understand that consciously or not, symbolism is very important to human beings, right? So in Chinese culture, um, there's this, I'm trying to think of the name of the word. Some of you guys probably know this, but it's basically face. It's this concept of like honor and uh, deference and like there's a huge system of human behavior in Chinese culture that has to do with who is the dominant person who is the subservient person all this other kind of stuff if you ever watch Xi Jinping's body language when he's meeting another head of state he will always stop at some point and make the other person walk to him it's very subtle but you gotta I mean he does it Basically every time, right? Peter and, Peter did that to me at uh, Cafe Bitcoin Live at Pacific. Yeah, did it to very, me too. It's very under, you know. Anyway, the point is when you see the streets of San Francisco lined with Chinese flags and there's not a single American flag in sight, that is highly suspect to me. And call me, you know, I don't give a crap if you want to refer to me as a conspiracy theorist. That's some bullshit, in my opinion. That's some serious lizard stuff. I want to know what Gavin Newsom is getting out of all this. That's what I want to know. He looked far too cheerful when he met him. I'll just say that. He had a huge shit-eating grin on his face as he was walking up to shake his hand. And also realize, like, this could this cuts both ways. I mean, maybe right down the street, there was a bunch of, maybe there was a protest against it. Maybe there were a bunch of American flags. I would doubt it. But the fact that like, who's, who's pushing this video, like what's their reasoning for it? Like, just look at it from all angles. I'm not saying that like, it's not shitty and you're not right about it, Alex. I'm just saying with all this stuff in any of this kind of cyber warfare, fifth generational warfare type stuff, like just look at it from all the different angles. You know, you know, and we, and we have, while, while this is going on at the same time, we have, we have near fisticuffs in the, in a Senate hearing from a Senator and, and the person uh, being, being um, um, questioned. So that was the, that was the, that was the president of the Teamsters. Normalized dueling again. 
We need duels back. Yo, I mean, it's, I'm it's down. a really interesting dichotomy, though. Bring epic. bring duels bring duels of honor back. I'm down. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed that transaction um, right there. I felt like it was like a well needed change. Just from watching it, though, like I was I was seeing the Teamsters leader coming ahead. Like that guy up there, the the senator, he seemed weak to me the way he was acting. But that's just me looking at it. wasn't in the room. I just watched that one clip. But it, when I saw that, I was like. This guy's up here, like, I mean, you've seen that before, these guys with all the bluster and they're talking big and they're, you know, but I don't know. I was, if I had to put my money on someone right there, it was on that president of the Teamsters Union. And did you, did you see the ring, Jess? We would have taken your money. (laughs) Oh, I said you would have lost your money. That guy's 5-0 MMA fighter. He would have annihilated that, that, uh, Teamster dude. Yeah, I know. I, I saw that he was like a, you know, trained fighter, but I don't know. That that isn't always always the answer either. It it is interesting though that that our internal politics are so incredibly divisive um and polarized and yet we are um bringing in foreign leaders with this idea of this unity and and subservience. Yeah, but this that's why- that that wasn't a divisive thing that um Peter, that was the Teamsters president was trolling that senator, basically saying, like, he calls himself self-made. He tweeted out at him and saying, like, you know where to find me. Basically, you're, you know, you're soft. And then he responded to that. Um, That was just some good old fashioned, like, bait and switch right there. Yeah, but this is why I said he was, like, weak to me. I mean, you've seen this, right? Like, he's in the he's in a place where they're obviously not going to let him fight. Like he can be up there, he's behind a wall or a or a whatever you call that thing. Like he's up there. Like the guy Bernie Sanders isn't gonna let him fight. So he's up there like challenging him. Yeah, come on, let's go. You wanna go? Get up, let's go. But like he's not gonna do anything. He also has one tell, if you saw the video, and he when he stands up to call him out, he kind of like twists his wedding ring. Like he starts playing with his yeah. wedding ring. Definite tell sign where it's like, uh-oh. Yeah, it sounds like we're going to need this in a cage match for sure. Could be the pre-fight, pre-fight for I've Elon been, Zuck. I've been trying to encourage the Swan guys, the Swan team, to like set up a cage at Pacific Bitcoin every year. And then all the... Like, I'm serious. Like, we have this channel called Crazy and Bad Ideas. So I dropped this in there. I'm like, let's talk to Dana White's people, figure out what the legal and insurance requirements are to put a cage up at Pacific Bitcoin. And then all the fucking swan haters could come there and they could sign the waiver. And we'll get all of our top fighters to just get in there and be like, hey, let's just settle this shit. And unfortunately, (laughs) like, uh, some of the the guys were like, yeah, let's go. But like, senior management was like, yeah, no. It's funny. It's it's funny, Alex. But I mean, do we really want to go back to the days of antebellum and and the Roman Colosseum? Is that really where we want to go? Was it? Is it the Roman Colosseum? So here's the difference. Here's the difference. Is that what? Here's the the difference. Hold on a second. Here's the difference. The Roman Colosseum was set up for the entertainment of the emperor and the plebs as a, and it was it wasn't about battles of honor. I'm talking about battles of honor. Let's settle some shit. Is that That's the Bitcoin ethos, Alex? 
is that what the Bitcoin ethos is? Is is battles of honor and settlement? okay? Well, Bad you know what? Honor. What is the Bitcoin ethos? Go fuck yourself. Are you are you gatekeeping on me right now? Trying to tell I'm me what the Bitcoin ethos all. is all I about? Just, just, hey, no, I, I, Peter, I GFY, bro. World, I don't want to live in a world where the apes control it, Alex. Of is course that, you wouldn't. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Well. While we're leaving it at that, I'd like to be participate in uh, said cage match, and I'd like all the clowns who like to at me and DM me about their sensitivities and their problems about Swan. Uh, even though I'm not an employee, I get I get lumped in, so I'm signing up, and all the all the Twitter bros. Look, can come anybody and who person. anybody who doesn't denounce Swan, you know what I'm saying? Like there are people who are just kind, you know. Anybody who has anything good to say about Swan, like some of these guys are just seriously, it like triggers the shit out of them. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that there's this thing called Swan derangement syndrome, and it's a real thing. Like these guys, here's the common, here's the common symptoms. Okay, at some point they've been kicked off of the cafe Bitcoin stage because they're fucking douchebags and they never forget it. It's like, oh, now you're my enemy for life. And they're seething with rage. And they, and you know what? We live debt-free in their fucking minds 24-7 and it's pathetic. Okay, but you don't need to have like your own like, you know, cage and waivers. Like it already exists. You can already go to those guys now and sign the waiver today. No, because they're all anonymous, and we don't know who they are. That's why they're clowns. No, they'll do a match. They've done matches. They'll do a match. They're talking about a match at Bitcoin uh, 2024. Y'all talk about these people like there's a bunch of them. I'm pretty sure it's just one dude with a bunch of accounts. It's like three of them. It's three of them, and they all have four accounts. Oh, that makes sense. So that's why there's 12. Okay. Good (laughs) I don't know. I'm just kidding. Whatever. I don't actually care. Jordan, what's up? You got your hand up. Did anybody see the video that Aaron Maté posted? Uh, he was on a train with Senator Chris Coons and just kind of tried to ask him, like, hey, how come you're not pushing for a ceasefire? And uh, in it, at one point, this, the senator's basically like, I'm not going to answer your question. Like, this is a quiet train, blah, blah, blah. But then he's like, he's like, this isn't professional journalism. And it's like, no, because the professional journalism that you expect are softball answers that don't pin you in a corner make you answer tough questions like what Aaron Maté is whatever you feel about his politics like that was some good journalism like let me go get into this guy's face and he did it very politely but let me ask him a tough hard-hitting question that other people aren't willing to ask and but that is the type of you know that's not journalism that's fake news or whatever like that is going to be pushed by the regime to make it look like that's the wrong way to do things. And while I have a a small little platform here, I just want to remind everybody that that is the way it's supposed to get done. And you should support and amplify those kind of tactics. All right. Uh, what other newsworthy items do you guys think we should discuss this morning? I have some topics here, but if anybody has anything they want to talk about, we can do that. I don't want to you. Mickey's famous again. Mickey keeps getting on all these podcasts and stuff. What was that latest one you just did? 
Uh, something about millennials. Bitcoin for millennials. I fucking hate millennials. Gosh, That's man. That's rude. Really? Fuck you, Mickey. <laughs> millennials are legit. Bunch of whiny crybabies. Unfortunately, I'm one of them. I was about to say, aren't you a millennial? <laughs> I think That's you're thinking lame. of Gen Z. Nah, you know what? There's hope. Like, I don't like to just box an entire generation into, and you know what? There's some, there's some bad ones, but there's definitely some good ones too. And I just want to have hope for the human race. Yo. Oh yeah. I just wanted to trigger the whole stage. I thought it was fun. Mission accomplished. Millennials, millennials are like those degenerates. In, in the movie that like <clears throat> they can't do anything right. But when like you have to set off the bomb to blow up the asteroid, like they go, they'll go, they're going to come through. I think the millennials will come through. They'll get to it. They'll hit the switch and they'll help, uh, you know, save future generations. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, thanks, Tom. Thanks. The whole generational uh, divides is just lizard strategy to get people pitted against each other. Tell her. Yeah, like for me, thinking that some blaming some generation who we were responsible for bringing up. So it's like if if you think the if you think the millennials or the Gen Zs are are really problematic, it's our fault. Right? Like we we had a responsibility to raise them and to put them into a world. But I actually think human beings are we're the same beings in all the generations we're born into. We're born into different circumstances and those circumstances can then shape many people within a generation. And so uh, if, if, if we think that there's some characteristics of particular generations that are distasteful or unpleasant or inappropriate or destructive, um, it's, it's much more often the situation that they were raised in. It wasn't like they all woke up and said, hey, we're going to be like this purely coincidentally. There's a cause behind it. And the, and the cause is the circumstances of the day. The younger generations, I'll lump the two younger generations, they were born into a, a digital world that was uh, unstable in the sense that the technology was moving so fast that for, from one year to the next, let alone from one schooling period to the next it was a different world out there for them uh they don't know what job titles are going to the ones who are in school now don't know what job titles are going to exist let alone what um what they should do with their lives at the time that they graduate and so a lot of stuff was they've just experienced so much disruption you know when they were young they were told go to university get a degree the degree turned out to be inapplicable for anything that was really demanded for the majority for a large majority of people so it's it's a messy situation some of it i think we can put the blame on ourselves some of it is well we've gone through this period of history where there's been massive technological disruption some of it is of course uh we've now lived through 50 years of fiat money and that's kind of how long it takes for it to fall apart that's not their fault Right? It's not their fault that houses are way beyond their affordability. It's not their fault that education, for despite being worth less, costs 10 times more than it did for, for those of us who are older. They didn't create that 
the housing price bubble. They didn't create the education price bubble. They didn't create the technology that disrupted the jobs that they now find themselves unable to get. So, and, and whether it's, a, like, I don't even think it's a matter of blaming, right? Like there's a lot of empathy that's required here, sympathy and adaptation together as a species to say, well, we do care about each other. We do care about you. Let's figure this, let's figure this out together rather than, you know, wave them off and say, uh, you know, like not my problem. Well, it's all of our problems. That's my take. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should just have a duel with them all, Tomer. That's Alex's answer. We'll have a duel. It's, it's definitely all of our problem. <clears throat> I mean, because if these people, if you get enough uh, <clears throat> postmodern resentment tours, then you got a real problem. You're going to have civil unrest. You're going to have all kinds of bad things happening in society. And by the way, Peter, I don't think the solution to solving problems is dueling everybody just douchebags there's a difference that part yeah. who who gets to determine who the douchebags are it's a slippery slope the out. challenger the obvious. challenger they right? they usually self-select <laughs> so now that everyone's been sufficiently triggered the the bitcoin for millennials podcast so it's it's bram cranston you guys should follow him he's actually really cool um that is a really fun interview and it's funny you said famous Alex because he said he was trying to interview like smaller, lesser known people when he when he reached out to me. So that's messed up. Uh, that's like when I was on uh, Mickey. Remember, I was on. I forget which one it was with Lisa, and it was like the intro was like you. Lisa Huff needs no introduction. Um, someone who may need more of an introduction, you definitely do not know, is Dom Bay. Mm-hmm. I was like. <laughs> Mickey was hitting me up like, ooh, sting out of the gate. <laughs> Anders, good morning. Good morning, sir. Glad to be here. Looking forward to uh, listening to a good conversation. Don't have much to add on the, the whole uh, the millennial thing or any of the other topics so far, but I'm here. Okay. Next up, we have the Central Bank of England wants to systemically uh, or create a situation where any what they quote are calling systemically important stable coins operating in the UK must fully back their intra- their issuance with non-interest-bearing central bank deposits. So basically they're saying, you guys have built this thing. We think it's really cool. Uh, and it might be really powerful. It might threaten our power. So what you need to do is you need to buy a bunch of stuff to back your stuff and let us hold it. And we're going to give you nothing for it. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's a pretty interesting regulation. It's like you are allowed to be in business, but you're not allowed to make any money because you have <laughs> it's 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 bizarre but i guess i guess what it is saying is like we have the sole right to make money you you are permitted to incur expenses to help make our money work uh but you're not permitted to earn money off of it It, it's an interesting um in a sense default on their willingness to pay interest for borrowing money from anybody in general right it's like we will sell interest bearing the central bank will sell treasury bonds right uh to anybody and the treasury bonds pay interest interest set by the central bank 
but in this particular case is saying, uh, except for you, we will not sell you interest-bearing certificates uh, to back your stablecoin. You, uh, you must buy a new kind of instrument from us that pays no interest. So what, what they're, in a sense, like, so, so one, that's the, that's the appalling anti-capitalist view uh, that they have. The other thing is they recognize, oh my goodness, there's a, there's a really good business model here. There's a lot of people who want our, who want currency, who don't expect to earn any interest on it. Um, and the demand has already been established by these stablecoin companies. Maybe, maybe we should be the ones making the money, but we can't really, we can't seem to issue our own stablecoin. So we'll just ride the rails and use our uh, regulatory ability to prevent them from making money and make the money ourselves. Um, it's kind of, it'd be an interesting thing. You know, Tether has got something like $85 billion worth of Tether outstanding. It's not huge by the standards of a $33 trillion deficit, but it's a, it's a significant amount of money. And, and they are, Tether is profiting hand over fist because Tether does not pay interest to hold it. It's like a Tether is a Tether, one Tether equals one Tether, no matter how long you hold it. But the, the backing that Tether gets, presuming it's all legit, which, which I suspect it is, they, they, put, they buy T-bills with that or treasury bonds with that, treasury bills with that, and they're not making the risk-free rate of interest on $87 billion, roughly, which is over $4 billion a year. Uh, that's, good, that's good profit for Tether. I, I don't know that it, it's actually a lot of money for the UK government or the US government. They spend that much money every day on God knows what. But it's interesting. Uh, sorry, I feel like maybe I've gone on too long. Not really. I totally agree. Yeah. So here's the part that trips me out about this. Basically, they're saying, quote, any form of money must be used with confidence to make payments and maintain its value at all times. It's an amazing level of gaslighting because here's whoa, the situation. Anyone, can you read that again? And everyone just listen to that and think about what they're saying. They're trying to point that at stable coins. Think of what that must mean about yes, sir. their own currency. Yes, sir. One more time, please. It's so crazy. It's like the BOE's regulatory proposals published today says, any form of money must be used with confidence to make payments and maintain its value at all times. I mean, the level of gaslighting here is crazy. So, uh, they're basically saying, <laughs> like, they're the basically saying, so we, we have issued this really shitty form of money, and it's so shitty that the free market has come up with a better solution. However, you know, what they created can't be trusted, and it can be only be trusted if we're holding all of the assets. Because in, in due course, of course, only we can do Physician that. Physician, heal thyself. Read the last phrase of that sentence again. To make payments and maintain its value at and all maintain times. its value at all times. They should take a look at the purchasing power of the UK pound as, as a tool for maintaining its value at all times. Because they clearly haven't. <laughs> like, if that is their goal, why are they targeting 2% inflation? Why are they, they don't, inflation? Tomer, Tomer, they don't understand the concept of maintaining value. To them, maintaining value is I'm looking at this, this one pound note and it's still a one pound note. Yeah, but as long as stable coins are backed allegedly by some kind of fiat instrument, they're not stable. Like we know that. 
So they're just, it's massive gaslighting. Oh, gosh. And people are going to fall for it. I, I don't, I don't, it's I don't just honestly know. So... In a time of high inflation, in the 70s when we had high inflation, everybody acknowledged we had high inflation. The, 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 I, I guess now there's not that there are games being played and there's some denial and there's there's certainly a dispute over the cause. I saw a video. I don't know what the date of it was, but a very short video circulating on Twitter the other day showing Joe Biden being very upset at people claiming that government spending is leading to inflation. It's absolutely not true. He said that's and that's just that's the end of his thinking on it. Uh, it absolutely is true. Um, and you you need to have a better argument for why it's not true than merely stating that it's not true. Uh, especially when I want to know, I want to know how they actually select the people who write this nonsense. That's what I want to know. Like, do they have some like, you know, secret room where everybody comes in in their robes and they have all their hoods up and the lighting is low and they like have a ceremony and it's like, oh. I hear they get millennials. The, the, the lizard, the, tweets. the lizard is strong with this one. He will write this. Listen, we're in an era. I just saw a video that now claims that that Epstein and uh, Maxwell, whatever her name is, or whatever her name is, Maxwell, are Mossad operatives whose job was to blackmail world leaders and billionaires so that they would support Israel. I mean, this is the really? era that we live in. Wild. I want to shout out to Stefan Lavera in the audience, throwing you an invite if you would like to come up. And then Wicked and Joe Carlosari, all of you guys. But there's only one spot. We're back to a cage match. Back to a cage match. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'll, I'll drop down because I'm cutting in and out a bit. I'm on the road today and I'm going through some dead spots, so I'll make room. All right. Drive safely, macro. But that's the problem with the cage match mentality is that is that the the message that that filters up to the top, regardless of its veracity, regardless of whether it's accurate or real, is the one that becomes foremost in the mind of the public. Hey, Stefan, good morning. Stefan, can you hear Peter? Uh, no, sorry, I can't. Um, maybe it's, I've, I've got a glitch. It's okay. No. It's better Congratulations. Off. Congratulations. That's not nice. Stefan, you want to uh, re rejoin? It was funny. We'll, we'll, we'll grab you back here in a second. I think you've got something going on. Okay. Rejoining. Okay. Peter, to your point, I think this is actually an important topic. So the reason that you don't just settle everything in an arena or in a cage with battle axes um, is because some people are not made to settle things that way. I'll just leave, I'll say it that way. Some people are not good in, in that way of settling things. So that is the reason that uh, law and order and laws and governments are created. They're created as an extension of the people to protect private property and to protect people all right now that's how civilizations work you know you have law enforcement and you have laws and you have judges and you have um 
legal systems and you have hopefully protection of people right now that works great right up into the point where that system starts to break down when you have corruption and then you have a civilization where criminals are set free honest people are put in prison the laws now protect the looters from everybody else now you have a system that's not working so well anymore and um history shows that sometimes the only way to reset that is to go back to the settling things with battle axes now does that mean i'm promoting that or want that to be the norm no not at all that is not a good deal but, but, but how else we, do you how else do you here, fix Alex, that aren't, aren't we here because we see a different path and we see that path through sound money we see that path through bitcoin oh absolutely okay. absolutely that's, however i will also say that's all i, say, I, to, all I, I will also you, say Alex. i will also say that if that path does not prevail then it's going to be battle axes and i'm not trying to scare anybody but that's what i think will happen like if 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 bitcoin doesn't win we're headed to a very dark period in humanity's history in am, my I, am i the and, only and, one and up I, here who I, actually has a battle axe and I and I agree with that, Alex. No, sir. I, I, you are I, not. I agree with that, but but I think it, it's the flippant manner in which sometimes these things are bandied about that disturbs me. Okay. And Peter, what we're trying to do is step your game up. <laughs> but Stefan Lavera, how are you? Thank yeah, doing, doing well. This. I'm uh, just uh, ordering my battle axe now. Um, just getting ready for the Mad Max scenario, my and uh, you know, hey, uh, I can't let Wicked be the only one with a battle axe, guys. You know, we've all got it. <laughs> you know, we're all battle axe maximalists here. Uh, if anyone's caught with a long sword, you're in trouble. All right, uh, <laughs> we're going to come for you. Battle axes are the uh, yeah. a a approved. You know, this is going to be the new cast iron versus stainless steel thing. It's like, are you a battle axe guy or a sword, long sword guy? I, I was just going to say, Stefan, can I can I bring my cast iron pan to that fight? <laughs> well, you, you might be able to parry. You know, if you got a good, if you got a good cast iron, you might be able to parry a few blows. You know. I was going to say you could, but you'd probably be at a significant disadvantage. Yeah, you know, it's like in the movies when you see the people with like the knives and, you know, in the movies they're knife fighting and all this, but in reality knife fights are like brutal if, if one guy has a knife and the other doesn't, like basically an ex even an expert is just completely out of luck. Um, but I mean, I guess bringing it back to what we were saying about like, okay, how bad things are going to get, I see it like maybe in a lot of the Western world, it's just going to keep getting worse right like in terms of corruption or in terms of like infrastructure breaking down you know it, it's yeah i don't quite see the mad max scenario <laughs> per se but i see it more like just some of these countries are just going to get poorer and worse off um but at the same time it'll be you know the cantillon effect right so there'll be the cantillionaires who are just living you know life large and then there'll be the have-nots and it'll be brutal uh, until we can sort of bring about the, the, the bright orange future. So, you know, I, I don't see the Mad Max scenario so much. Yeah, uh, you know, I, the I actually agree with that. And so people know, like, I see things on a spectrum. There's a spectrum of possibilities. Like, I say a lot of that kind of stuff because 
I think it's funny. And I think a lot of people immediately think that that's what I think the the outcome, the highly likely outcome is going to be. I don't think that. I'm just, I, I like playing around with it because I think it's humorous. But anyway. I think I think this this doom talk hits different people in different ways. And I, I know you, Alex, and I know you're speaking of this somewhat tongue in cheek, but also also serious without the expectation of it. Uh, degrading into that. I, I think what's really interesting is when the conversations are had about, well, what is what is the alternative outlook? How does how do things repair and how do they how do they look differently? And and to me, that's one of the really interesting avenues where some of this uh, more uh, speculative Bitcoin philosophy and, and exploration is coming out. Uh, Jeff Booth is talking a lot about what things will be like. I know in um, in at Bitcoin Atlantis in Madeira, he's hosting the whole block of things that he's hosting is all about what life might look like after the transition to a Bitcoin uh, standard. And I know he's been talking with uh, a few other thinkers and Max Kaiser's got his ideas. So I think these I think these ideas are all being developed because we're actually taken seriously now. Like, oh, this this might really happen. And, and oversimplifying what it might look like is. Uh, is not as interesting, right? I think there, there are people who just think, "Oh, well, it's it." The wealth will move over to the to the new wealthy class, who are the Bitcoiners. But the real question is, well, what do people choose to spend their money on? How does that shape civilization? What impact does that have on each generation that then comes in? What circumstances are they raised in? And so, what does that generation that is raised in those circumstances end up looking like? I, I think it's fascinating. I'm trying to do some writing on it myself and speculating, but it's complicated. Uh, but I will say my my views on it are all uh, like really positive. I think it I think it's a it's a new age and it's a positive age. And and so we are at this fork where like which way Western man as the as the meme title goes. One is towards a world of soundness and and having purpose and pursuing that purpose in a civilized manner with everybody else. The other is getting by by hook by crook or by battle axe to add to to the third thing. To, to get what what you can out of an ever diminishing pool of resources because when the looters loot like when we're supposed to improve the infrastructure as Stefan brought up when we're supposed to maintain the infrastructure maintain the roads maintain the water uh, uh, cleanliness plants maintain the uh, natural gas pipelines maintain all of these things but instead we use 90 cents of the dollar raised to do that to pay off insiders and we don't end up actually increasing the infrastructure enhancing the infrastructure our civilization is poor it's it's without an up-to-date whatever was supposed to be built or it's with an without the new thing that was supposed to be built that cost 10 times as much and took 10 times as long and never got built well we're poor as a result the amount of money is greater but we are we are poor and that's what's happening right now um and it's not solely government it's also crooked executives at companies who who don't deliver what their companies were paid to do, but cash out with golden parachutes. It's all the looting and the lack of responsibility and follow through that, that we're confronting. And if we shift, if we turn away from that world and turn to a world where people actually deliver things that are great, that are built to last and that are maintained well so that they last, we live in a very different world. And there's jobs, there's real jobs for everybody doing productive things that add value to society, not, um, not faking their way through pretending to create value by delivering writing speeches that make no sense as one example. 
I love the days that we get both Tomer and Stefan in the same room because it gets deep. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have I have a question for you guys. This is a housekeeping thing. Uh, can someone volunteer to co-host in the event that I get disconnected or something? Because my Twitter's been acting weird lately. Either Stefan or Tomer or Dom Bay or Anne. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I, I, I'm here for the rest of the show, so I'll do it. All right, cool. And Alex, then we'll go with one... Anders and Chris. Yeah. He never says Wicked or Peter, can you co-host? And there's a reason for that. Yep. Once you step your game up, Peter, you'll be ready. Alex, Alex, if now. Peter wants to get in the octagon with me over being co-host of the show, I don't think it's going to be a very exciting fight. I'm just concerned that if I give Wicked co-host, he's going to boot everybody and spend the rest of the show talking about Cash App. Can't fucking do that. Yo, Alex, so can, you me? can you hear me, Alex? Yes, sir. All right. Um, no, I just want to go back to your question before, because um, you're right, if Bitcoin... Uh, doesn't succeed uh, we may need to get out the battle axis i think that the nice thing is the way things have played out and the way bitcoin is structured and game theory and every everything uh like personally we're i think there's 99.99 percent minimum that that bitcoin will succeed um thanks god but on while we're still on central banking like surely we see like in us that more and more people are being pushed down. We have more homeless. We have more poverty. Uh, what brings me hope is that um, all these bad situations will be turned around uh, as people go on a Bitcoin standard. And so, what I want to say gives me hope is, you know, a, a country that was um, amongst the well at the bottom of the global um, order of, of countries. Of course, I'm talking about El Salvador with. Uh, globally record high murder rates and, and poverty and they couldn't even have their own fiat currency because the, the country was so poor and then see how that is, is being turned around, right? So, yeah, hopefully we'll see that both on a national level more and more and, and also on an individual level when when people are converted to, to Bitcoin or Bitcoiners. It's just what I wanted to add to that. Chris? Yeah, hi guys. Um, just, I don't know, we've kind of gone past it now. I came up when you talked about the Bank of England um, thing, and I was listening to it and thinking about it, and I actually think it's a good thing what they're doing. Um, and I'll tell you for why. Firstly, I think stable coins are shit coins, and they just elongate the use case for fiat. So I don't think they should be embraced by the Bitcoin community, and I think that we should be very, very wary of them. Um, uh, and and it, but if they are in existence and they are being used, um, and and in the UK a stablecoin spins up, um, and it's forced to hold non-interest bearing um, assets to to back it, then I, I see that as a positive. It keeps them honest. You know, they don't have. The, the same risk of bank runs if if they have it one to one backed. I, I'm not sure why there's why there's a negative spin being put on on that. So maybe Chris, maybe yeah, go for it. it, it I, I'd like to take a stab at that. Like I agree with you that um, it, it's like stable coins would need to be backed one to one, so we don't risk that people lose whatever value having that. I think the problem here is that it's not the central bank saying hey, you need to be back one-to-one, -one, which I think is is legit. 
then they can go on the market and they can get a re return um, on, you know, buying bonds or whatever short term. But when they're saying you got to be back, but you can't go on the market and and uh, and get a return, you need to come to us and get nothing. So they remove what is, you could say, a fair income for them for holding that 84 billion or whatever it is. Yeah, but I just don't see the business model really as being fair. Like the user doesn't have an expectation of interest in many cases. And so you've got like, you know, Tether, for example, which a lot of exchanges force you to go into. So you're forced to buy Tether to then buy Bitcoin. And it creates an additional pairing that's unnecessary. Like in, all, all I want to see is exchanges doing USD, GBP, Euro, whatever, directly to Bitcoin. And that's it. Like, so here's the, here's the problem, though. All right. Is is that um, you know you're starting to see? You remember earlier this year we had this like Operation Choke Point 2.0 thing, and everybody's like, "Oh, it's Operation Choke Point 2.0." That was premature. What's happening now is actually Operation Choke Point 2.0. But you still and it's have like to go from your fiat currency to your stablecoin, and I don't know. That's literally what I was just going to say. Is yeah. that you have to? There has to be a conversion process, right? So, how do you do that? Yeah, you don't need to. I just think it's a way. It's it's uh, it's it's basically corrupt. You do you you don't have a U.S. bank, though. Yeah, for exactly. Dollars. Yeah, like right. if you don't have a bank, how do you hold? How do you? If hold you don't have a bank, how do you buy tether? Somebody's you, giving you it to you on the blockchain. Yeah, yeah. somebody's giving it to you on the blockchain. Just give you Bitcoin. Or, or you exchange your fiat for tether on like a on a dark market. Yeah, I know, but but we don't want to be encouraging the use of tether as currency. This is no. Okay, here's the thing, Chris. I want to make sure we're clear on something. Just because we talk talk about a topic doesn't mean we're encouraging it. This is a no, thing no, that I see no, very no. commonly in 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 the Bitcoin Twitter sphere. Is like people will engage in a in a discussion of something and then people others will jump up and down and be like oh you're promoting that thing it's like shut the oh, fuck no, up we're talking no, about it i don't think you're doing that i'm just i'm just because you you were saying um it's it's like lizard eyes and the, whoever wrote this is part of the you know part no, of the but chris let me let me you said it wasn't fair that they the tether for example could make this money it's like this is the nature of of free free businesses right like if you can make something and make a pro if you can offer free. a service and make a profit at it, that's not unfair. That's it's you're in a position, right? It's free. You, you, the exchanges are forcing you into tether. That that you're then buying tether, which they're then taking your money and buying. Um, they're buying treasuries with and and earning interest on your money that you've deposited. That you you've only deposited into tether because you have to because you you can't keep a, a USD or pound balance. Well, that, but that's just to be clear, we're talking here about some of the offshore exchanges, yeah? And saying, I think it's also fair to point out that these are generally fiat problems, right? Like if somebody is going to that level, it's sort of like how BitMEX had Bitcoin in and Bitcoin out only, you know? So some of this is just kind of fiat problems that anyone who's offering this kind of exchange has to deal with, right? I, I, yeah, but I don't think they needed to use Tether. I think it's just it's just an elongation of of, of a use case for fear. And uh, I'm not saying that you so guys. In which can we can we name some examples? Like, are you talking about offshore exchanges, or what are you what specifically are you referring to here? Well, there there are certain exchanges where you can't go straight from fiat to Bitcoin. You have to go through the through a. Uh, I think Binance actually does does it that way, right? 
I well, I think it depends which country. I think they have yeah. some fiat on ramps, although they've had obviously a lot of regulatory drama. But I, I presume in the cases that they don't have standard fiat on rails, it's because they can't, right? It's not. I, I presume they would want to, but they just can't. So, do you think it's a good or a bad policy for the Bank of England to put forward? Sorry, what what policy you mean, Bank of England? Like which specific policy? Stefan arrived after the conversation. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So Alex basically described the Bank of England saying that stable coins in the UK can only exist if they hold um, non-interest bearing assets to back the amount of currency that's been... No, 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 no. That's not what I said. Uh, To be precise, the Bank of England is saying that any stable coin that's operating in the UK should have fully collateralized the stable coin with whatever and it all those assets should be held by the bank of england with no interest so the bank of england wants all the deposits and they want they want to hold the, the money of the stable coin issuer and pay the stable coin issuer nothing so they want the stable coin issuer to receive yes. no no income for holding these de- these deposits yes and, and and so I, I, you can think about it for just a couple of minutes, Stefan. I, I think it destroys the business model, which which destroys the business. Like, uh, I think the point that Stefan is trying to make to you, Chris, is these exchanges. And again, this isn't me defending these exchanges. I think they're all shitcoin casinos. But it all these all these exchanges don't have access to U.S. dollar deposits. They can't take U.S. dollar deposits. So they, but they can't take tether because tether is unregulated and un, uncensorable. Yeah. And so that's and what it, they do. And it's becoming more and more likely over time that, uh, you know, more and more, shall I say, financial institutions, individuals, maybe even countries are excluded from using the U.S. dollar system. Yet, yeah. so, but people want pass, dollars. So when you, when you pass a law or a regulation or, you know, any kind of intervention that says you're allowed to offer this service, you're just not allowed to make money at it. There's no real difference from saying you're not allowed to do it because you can't do that, but you can't make money at and you go out of business. So it's so, Chris, it's effectively saying there are no, no stable coins can be issued in in the in the UK can operate in the mm-hmm. UK. Right? Precisely. Like, it's like all you have to it, it's the like logic. Yeah, it's like addressing any industry like all of you dentists are you can be dentists, but every customer that comes in for your dental services, you must pay them a thousand dollars. Yeah, I just wanted to de- dive into it a little more. I'm, I'm not saying one thing or the other, really. I'm just interested. I, 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 on first glance, I thought, actually, it made sense. But, you know, you guys put forward credible arguments. I think there are other ways of making money, though, rather other than just, you know, um, holding it in interest-bearing assets. And, and I think if you hold it in volatile interest-bearing assets that are high risk, then... Yeah, it's not the point, though. What they're, what they're wanting to do is they want to have the advantage of having all of those assets on their balance sheet that they can use in other ways without compensating the people that are putting the assets there. And at the same time, what they're doing is they're saying, oh, it's going to be safe now because we're holding it, even though they had the crappy money to begin with that the free market had to figure out a solution to. Now the free market's got this solution, and they're like, oh, but it's not going to be safe unless we're holding it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, that's, they're, they're good points. So thanks for elaborating. I appreciate it. I think the other thing, just from a user perspective, right, if you're on one of these offshore exchanges, I mean, 
what's the difference if it's if it's a, a fiat balance that they're showing you or if it's a tether balance i mean they're both funny money and you know they're both basically worthless in the end of things so you know it's like if they're saying okay yeah yeah you've got dollars here and you're like okay i've got dollars here and they show you like a little number on a screen and you feel nice and warm inside <laughs> it's like is that really better than tether <laughs> like come on <laughs> you know what i'm saying like it's it's it you're right Wicked. i was going to say the same thing it's exactly the same thing it's just a different it's it's fiat with just a different the only, cover the only on difference it. is you can't take it into self-custody so it's actually worse yeah but well is it i mean currently 90 percent, 90 percent of our fiat is or more than 90 probably i mean almost all of our transactions are not self-custody anymore so i mean we're already kind yeah. of there Probably so, 99%. And I was like, say, how I was much is say, in cash? I think fiat and stable coins are both really stupid forms of money and they'll both go to zero eventually. So I was also going to say I moved I moved $1,000 from E-Trade to Fidelity. It's taking six days to settle. Six business days to settle moving 1000 bucks. Are you kidding me? From, from, from Morgan Stanley to Fidelity? What is going on? Mm, and in contrast, Bitcoin on Lightning is almost instant, depending upon how much you're sending. It's great. And guess what? During that six business days, oh, somebody is making money interest off of my transfer because it's in the overnight repo every night, every step along the way, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. While we have Stefan here, because we don't get him very often, Stefan, I want to ask you, like, what's interesting to you right now? What are you tracking? What's on your radar? Like, what are you, what are you interested in? I think some of the cost of living conversation, obviously, that's very, a lot of people are talking about that right now. So it's just kind of on my mind. Uh, I am thinking about ways to more accurately measure that or talk about that. So a lot of people have, you know, and a lot of Bitcoiners talk about this WTF happened in 1971, right? And so famously, the top chart, the title chart there shows this divergence between worker productivity and wages. However, I have also heard an argument that actually they're being deflated by two separate uh, deflators. And that actually, I've heard this argument that actually wage productivity is in line Oh, sorry, wages are in line with productivity. So this is actually an argument I'm going to go through um, with uh, an Austrian economist, Gene Epstein. Um, and so that's something I find interesting. And so I've just been looking and researching a little bit about that and looking at the Chapwood Index, which many people would know is like an alternative way to calculate what what is inflation or at least CPI inflation. And so those are a few ideas. And so as an example, if you look at the Chapwood index, that's showing like averages anywhere between 11 to 13%. Uh, for example, in New York, it's showing 13.6%. You know, so it's showing um, a very high level of uh, inflation in the cost of living. Uh, but I guess I would be curious to hear what some of the arguments are back and forth, right? And to be clear, it's not that Gene Epstein is like a lefty socialist guy. He is an Austrian free market guy. And so I'm very curious to sort of hear that perspective on how he would explain uh, what's going on with cost of living versus the you know, inflation and wage increases. And, and just to summarize your point again quickly, Stefan, it, it's the cost of living looks like it's much higher than inflation minus 
cost of living adjustment. I think we're also sorry. Say, say again. You were saying the argument is it's much higher than. Sorry, I missed you there. Than, than inflation. Than inflation minus cost of living. That that there's there's a big discrepancy between these two. So I think Gene's argument is more that this particular, like that particular chart, which comes from Economic Policy Institute, is painting a misleading picture because it shows this divergence of showing like basically it's showing that oh wow look how much more productive the economy is but actually the wages for the average person has not risen that much and i think gene is trying to say no actually those are being deflated by two separate things and if you turn if you turn it all back into nominal terms i.e not quote-unquote real terms then that difference disappears but as Bitcoiners and as Austrians, we can still critique the system. We can say, well, there's still a cantillionaire effect, right? He who is closer to the money printer is benefiting. And so that part is definitely still true. I think the part where the jury's out, or let's say there's still some debate here, is about how much of the productivity increase has actually flown through, is flowing through to the wage earners. And it could also just be that you know, maybe we're sort of living in this kind of false productivity era that we think we're so much more productive, but actually we're not because there's this underlying uh, destruction or erosion of our capital base, right? This is the, the problem of fiat currency, right? It, it gives people this false accounting, which makes them think they're in a profit, but actually they're losing money and they're kind of, you know, uh, wearing down their asset, right? I'll give you a quick example. If you think about Uber, the common argument I've heard people say is, look, actually, a lot of these Uber drivers are not making money once you account for the depreciation on their vehicle because they're putting in all this wear and tear on their vehicle and they're not really realizing it. And maybe it was only through the, the mirage of cheap credit, of fiat currency, that maybe enabled people to live this lie to believe that they were not losing pace. You get me? Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I I think there's a lot of things moving around, right? One of the things also is if there has been an increase in productivity, maybe it's been banked as free time. Like just as a, again, another one of these modern economy examples is we all, we're all Zooming instead of commuting. It's an exaggeration, but many people are working from home instead of commuting. So they're not consuming more, but they are more, they're more productive and, and they're, the productivity gain has come in the savings of time that they don't have to spend in their in their commute. So there's there's some of that stuff going on too. Like where there's less consumption being had, and and so that can also equate to that. I don't claim to have one uh, massive answer. I'm just thinking about the question that you're that you're asking here, and uh, and I think I think people people's life. The other thing that makes this really hard to measure is the world is so different now than it was before we had the money printing and the inflation because COVID changed the world so much. There were lockdowns, uh, work from home, telecommute, massive displacements. We never got back to the, I mean, maybe some people want, want to disagree with me here, but I, at least in my circles, we never got back to the same kind of lifestyle life that we had before. Maybe we're getting there slowly. Maybe things are permanently changed. So because our consumption patterns are so different, it's really hard to tell if we're if we're getting in, if we're, what benefits we are getting, what benefits we have lost. And, uh, and that, that's yeah. just, I think that makes it really hard to be objective about this. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think those are good points. And for example, our friend Safety Namus has also been talking about this idea that, you know, CPI is, a, is basically a, a nonsense metric that they just, you know, hack it around to sort of hide the impact of what they've done. And of course, as you, as you correctly point out, in 2020, they, they printed all this money and the world has not really recovered yet. Of course, some people did really well out of this, but a lot of people really suffered. And how do you account for that? Maybe one last thing, and I, I do know that there's a couple of hands up, so I, I don't mean to monopolize. It's um, I, I, we were talking as well, I think, before you got here, Stefan, that um, the, the world is also change, changing in terms of which direction we're headed in. And I think for some, for some people, they're starting to make different choices about what kind of things they want to consume because the the shock of the lockdowns of COVID, the masking, the the, dis, the div divisiveness of our civilization is leading them towards a different thing. We, the fact that we live in a divided society much more so means we want to have as close a family unit as we possibly can. And so people are staying together, eating at home, traveling less, doing these things in part because of economic considerations, but I think also in part because of whether it's conscious or subconscious choice, it's like th this reconnection, reunification of things that were dissolving before. And, and, and that's a, a trend that civilization might be taking. So all in all, it just, it's very hard to economically analyze uh, this thing, even hard to socially analyze it, especially when it's in the early stages of a transition and you don't know which trends are going to catch on. But I think it's a great question. I wish I, I had more of an answer. I think, I think might, we should let Wicked talk before he explodes. I, I think it might be the opposite, though, Tomer. Like, I think the lockdowns might have actually influenced people to go out more now, go out to eat, go out to, you know, party on the weekends, to travel more if they can afford it. But I almost feel like it's kind of made the YOLO culture even stronger, right? Because it's like we don't know the next time we're going to get locked down or we, this money's like worthless now and we just got to spend it. We got to live life to its fullest in, you know, in today. I, I feel like there's a lot of people with that mindset. And honestly, it's like I've been saying this throughout this entire past year or two when we've been hearing like the recessions on the, you know, right around the corner. Here comes the recession. It's like the restaurants are full, guys. You go out on an on a evening and it's like the restaurants are full. What the fuck's happening? This is like, where's this recession that we're talking about? Everyone's still going out. Everyone's still living their lives, spending their money. Like, yeah. Things are more expensive, but like it hasn't, at least, you know, like around where I am and I'm not in a fancy neighborhood, it hasn't stopped people from <laughs> from spending their money in dumb ways. Um, I will say, I think I think the main thing that is causing a lot of financial stress for, you know, lower and, and, and lower middle class people is housing costs, right? Rent. I think that's probably the main culprit of like people getting fucked and feeling strapped is that the rent is out of control. And I mean, that's a direct, you know, cause is, is the monetization of real estate. And that's crystal clear to me, at least. Right. And so I think that's like one thing that that definitely is causing some financial stress on a lot of people. But aside from that, I mean, listen, you know, compare yourself to where your parents or your grandparents were when they were your age. How many times did they go out to eat? Probably zero. Like they probably went out maybe on a birthday or like a special occasion. And that was it. How many times you go out to eat? You know, I mean, once a week, twice a week, people be going out a lot. 
You know, how many times does your car break down on the side of the road? Do you have a much better car than your parents or your grandparents? Yes. So you're actually benefiting quite a bit from all of the technological advancements and all of this, you know, bouginess that we live with now, <laughs> much more so than your parents, your grandparents. And yet, you know, it's like, I feel like we, almost feel like, we're, that, we almost feel like we're owed more. It's like, oh, that, I can't get my coffee every day now. I can't. That's yes you know? and no, Wicked. You know, with the car, with the car example, because it used to be that if your car broke down on the side of the road, you probably could could do something to fix it. And how many, how many, how many, how many and, cars and, did you see breaking down on the side of the roads back in the day, though? A lot not, more, right? No, no, no. I didn't see. I don't think I saw many more than I see now. I, I, I would disagree with that. But I, 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 I will I, tell I, you I, this: I'm, if, I'm if, personally, if your car breaks down now, you're, you're looking, you're looking at multi thousands of dollars just to get it fixed if it's a minor problem. Yeah, I mean, there's other concerns too with the way we're, we're the direction we're headed now. It's like if you if you don't toe the line with the current politics, then who knows? They might just turn your car off. Yeah, that's a whole nother route. We, yeah. <laughs> okay, but, let's do this. Let's do this. Good, good little boys and girls, right now. I'm talking about the good. Did I? Um, I just I don't uh, worry about it. I have okay, one well, real quick. Who's just, that? Um, uh, it's macro. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Um, so on, on Stefan's point, when you're talking about looking at, you know, the first chart on 1970, WCF happened in 1971, and you see the bifurcation of, you know, productivity versus um, wages, I think one of the things that, that is also a good proxy that I don't hear get talked about a whole lot is just uh, energy expenditure per capita. I think it's a really good metric to look at, and um, I know that... At least, you know, for the better part of like two centuries prior to 1971, as energy expenditure per capita went up, quality of life went up. And I think part of the stagnation that people feel could be tied in there. And I've toyed around with some ideas of how to analyze that. I, I haven't figured something out yet, to be honest, but I do think that is a good proxy, in my opinion, you know, something to look at in comparison to like the nominal value of the wages. Okay, uh, I'd like to hit announcements real quick, then we're going to go with Stefan again. So a few quick items. Number one, you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also a pod, Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. You can throw me a follow or a swan to be notified of when they drop. We've got Unconfiscatable coming up next month. I am going. Uh, I'm excited. I just got my tickets yesterday. December 6th is going to be the poker tournament. December 7th is going to be the conference and a carnivory dinner in the evening. December 8th is conference, after party, and the Scammy Awards. Really cool. Some really cool speakers. Got Jimmy Song, Natalie Brunel, Adam Back, Jack Mahler, Mark Moss, D++, and others. Hoddle, Tarantula, Uncle Rockstar, etc. So, sounds like it's going to be a great time. VIP tickets, there's only six left at the current price. Event tickets, there's only four left at the current price. Carnivory di dinner, there's only 15 left at the current price. Don't waste time. Let's go. Um, so Tone Vase, shout out to that. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. Also, tonight, we have got uh, Bitcoin veterans starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. We've got Corey Clips and the CEO of Swan coming on the show to talk to the boys. We're going to be discussing the race to avoid the war. Uh, and we have a really special announcement coming up. All right. Uh, Stefan, any follow-up thoughts to the, to the previous topic there? 
Not, no, no, no big ones to sort of go on a big rant about, but uh, I think uh, some really good comments out there from Wicked, Macro, Toma, a lot of great points there about, um, you know, what are some possible explanations for this? And at the same time, there's so many moving pieces, mo so many moving parts that like maybe one thing is getting better, another thing is getting worse. Maybe the culture has gone worse. Maybe the expectation has gone really high. And then oh, actually one other area that I am seeing that maybe is interesting as well is some of the generational conflict. I'm seeing more and more people sort of having having a dig at other generations. As an example, I'm seeing this guy in Australia kind of constantly going on about the boomer generation and how they had it so easy in Australia and, you know, arguably depending, you know, around the world that, you know, people sort of say, well, look, see, look how much easier they had it to buy a property that, yes, interest rates were higher, but the price is lower or is a fraction or as a fraction of their annual earnings. Um, you could say, though, that maybe they had a harder life. But on the other hand, they sort of got to ride this crazy 40 year bull run, whereas uh, millennials and uh, Gen Z today don't really get that opportunity. And so there's kind of a, a sentiment of they're locked out that it's hard for them to actually get ahead in the world. So I think that's kind of an interesting area. We're seeing a lot of conversation about that too. So, you know, obviously it'll sort of spark a bit of a powder keg, but I think that's also really uh, a big topic for discussion. Yeah, we were actually talking about it earlier in the call before you joined. Uh, had this, uh, Fair enough, I don't blame you, yeah. Well, we don't need to rehash, so yeah. It was, it, but it's it, the fact that you bring it up not having heard about it is that it was earlier in the call, it just shows how relevant that discussion uh, is and, and how how people are trying to look at this problem and say, how do I break the problem apart and divide it? Is it a generational problem? Is it a money problem? Is it a politics problem? Is it a regulation problem? It's a, it, there's there's so many moving parts right now and, and people's general uh, way of starting to solve problem is to divide up to divide up the, the different factions who might be contributing to benefiting from suffering from the problems. Uh, so it's, there's a lot of people asking a lot of questions right now. It's, it's time of deep contemplation and, and a lot of action and reaction as well, right? Whether it's well thought out or not. Peter. I, I wanted to ask Stefan a different question. So I don't want to interrupt this, this conversation. Oh, I'm, I'm okay if you just want to ask. Yeah. Um, I was curious what you thought about the current uh, rate environment on on chain and if you thought that this was something that is going to continue on or if it is just because of what's going on, you know, at this particular time. So my understanding is this current situation is because there was a lot of um, the like the BRC20 or inscriptions or something similar to that where basically there's a bunch of people who just want to, you know, do their inscriptions on chain. Again, I'm not a supporter of that, but I also acknowledge that you can't stop them. Uh, and so I think it's mainly that um, I was anticipating it to sort of come down for a little bit, but, you know, you can't really stop them when they want to decide they want to, you know, spend all this money to put all these uh, inscriptions on chain or whatever, whatever they're called. Uh, and so we are at the mercy of that to some extent. Um, but at the same time, I think it's also interesting to see more and more use of lightning. I think we are seeing conferences now where it's a standard thing that they offer lightning payments and more and more people are using lightning. So maybe that's a silver lining of 
some of what's happening. Um, but I think the other aspect, and I had a recent episode with Bob Burnett talking about this idea that, you know, fees are going to be going up and we should anticipate that. And this is, to be clear, this is something I've been talking about for a long, long time. This is something, even in the first 100 episodes of my podcast, like literally 400 episodes ago, we were talking about this stuff that eventually fees would rise to a point where you need to be thinking about doing some kind of channel management operation or you are buying very high value items on chain and therefore you can justify paying that on chain fee because it is going to rise um the other funny thing is you see this constant seesaw back and forth because people say oh no the security budget is not going to be enough and then on the other hand it's oh no the fees are too high and now people can't transact whereas i think for me i've consistently maintained i think the more likely outcome is that the fees will be high right i don't think this whole security budget thing is an issue at all i think the more likely issue is the other way around that it, the fees will go really high and that not everybody can transact on chain so that's kind of my overall thought so in other words, make sure that you have good UTXO management so you don't get locked out of all your funds eventually. Yeah, and, and with Swan, we have either weekly withdrawal or 1 million sats as the minimum threshold. So I think that's something we already do at Swan. But uh, of course, if you have other wallets and other things, you need to think about that and just consider your UTXOs. Long term, I think a lot of this stuff can get automated and people will just have automated solutions and, you know, wallets might offer you, as an example, they might say, hey, Wicked, you've got um, some UTXOs that are really small and the fees are really low right now. Do you want us to consolidate? And then you kind of just hit yes or no and it can kind of intelligently do that kind of thing for you. Now, that won't um, resolve the overall broader issue, but it'll just maybe help you manage a little bit around the edges there. So it's not going to totally fix that issue, but it'll just help people manage. What, what do you think that threshold is going to be of people who are able to transact on chain and people who aren't? Can I jump in here? I, I <laughs> Sorry, want to man. comment directly on that. And I wanted to respond to something uh, Stephen said. Uh, which is, you know, the, it's sure. important, uh, Peter, you're the one who asked the question. Um, if you're not aware, there are these people doing these ordinal related projects. You've got these BRC20 projects. And the last time that we had an extended period of really high fees, it was literally one project that was driving the congestion in mempools that really led to the majority of the, the fees being sustained at a high level. So be aware that we are absolutely in the situation where you're going to see higher fees and there's no such thing as Bitcoin security budget problem. That just doesn't exist. It's a myth. The point is, is that we have already today some form of kind of critical mass as far as the people that want to get into blocks. The, the demand for block space between ordinary, quote unquote, ordinary Bitcoin usage and frivolous bullshit like ordinals uh it's 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 more than can fit into the average block so this is this is just where we are and it's an important thing to recognize we have these participants here now in 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 enough size that there is some degree of critical mass i want to point out that just now we crossed 1.3 gigabytes in mempool it's at 1.34 right now and that is higher than it was several months ago when we hit that level as far as the amount of, uh, you guys were talking yesterday about uh, the size of transactions as far as file size. 
versus the amount that's in them. Uh, we have actually far fewer transactions by count than the last time that we were at this level of data in the mempool waiting to get scooped up. So it, it's really interesting to me that we're close to, you know, we're just over uh, 200,000 transactions and, and surpassing that 1.3 gigabyte level. Whereas I believe the last time we were at that level in the mempool, uh, it was much more like four or 500,000 transactions. So we've got a ton of these larger file size transactions clogging up mempool uh and you know last block i think it was like 150 sats per v byte average fee paid i think this is going to become far more normal uh and i don't see any way that it's not uh it, it's it's yeah. simply a recognition of who are the participants that are here that are all uh bidding those fees higher to get into the next block and and that's just a a, a reality of where we are today yeah, and, and you're right there, TC, that, uh, you know, it's over one gigabyte. It's literally the mempool in data size is higher than it was in the previous big spike. Although I will point out that the right now, as I look on mempool.space, high priority is 148 sats per vbyte. In that prior spike, it, it got around 400 or even 500 sats per vbyte. I, I have so a screenshot it of got, when it was yeah. 650 sats per vbyte for priority. Right. And, and that's just a recommendation based on what, the fees of the existing mempool transactions are. So I, I expect we're going to see some spikes like that. But even right now, it's it, it just like, it seems like we're, we're setting a much higher, I hate to use the word floor, but we're setting a way higher floor to what the sort of ordinary uh, fee rates you should expect to see are. Yeah, when mempool TA, like uh, Mononaut was showing us all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and the other aspect is, you know, if we're entering a bull cycle now, uh, you know, fingers crossed, if we're entering a bull cycle now, it's only going to get worse, right? Think about all the new people coming in oh who will gosh. need to withdraw their coins. It's going to get worse because there'll be a whole round of new people who want to self-custody, of course. And of course, not your keys, not your coins. But, uh, you know, that's it's going to get worse. So uh Get get lightning ready, get your channels ready, you know, just batten down the hatches. You should have listened to that wicked Apple when he was going on and on and wouldn't shut up about your UTXO management. You should have listened. Yep, too late now. Sorry, suckers. I, I, I'll jump in. Uh, two things. One, it's uh, while, while the average fee rate or the middle, the middle fee rate may be um, – a hundred and a hundred and some odd. The, the last block contained transactions with fees as low as twenty three sats per v byte. But it, it is getting bad, and I think it is clear that um, the or, the ordinals, particularly the BRC twenties, are are nonsense. And we could have a whole other discussion about it. I know we're running out of time. Like the, these, but these are tokens that are issued by nobody known with no promise of value, no, no redeemability for anything whatsoever. They're just they're just, they're just arbitrary tokens so they're not really providing any utility it is clearly a scam and and at some point if this doesn't die down i, I think these people are wasting their money one way or the other i would like to uh see us maybe take some interventions to say enough's enough like let's um let's do what we can and we could have discussions about what we might be able to do but it's um it's unfortunate because I think people are getting scammed. I don't understand where it's coming from, like the logic behind I don't I don't have time to spend time in, in Twitter spaces or other forums where people are discussing, hey, I'm printing bear token. Why don't you buy this token and 
And so all, all these fees are spent to create the initial issuance and there's, there's no volume, there's no activity. It's really, really hard to verify where these are, what anyone could ever do with any of these things. So it's, it's pure nonsense, at least with the stupidity of the ICO craze, when people were issuing tokens on Ethereum, there were companies behind these things saying, oh, we'll do these things and let you do X, Y, Z with these tokens. Like, are, are there such people saying these things with these BRC tokens that have nobody behind them in a sense? No. Anyone can issue? No, no so they're just, they're, they're just they're meme points. Without any promise. Yeah, they're just... Um, and anyhow, we'll see where it all goes, I suppose. I, I, I'm patient enough to let these people waste their money. I think fools and their money are soon parted and, and the people who are minting these tokens are now spending significant money. But they are also causing other people who want to transact on Bitcoin to have to spend more money to do it. And I'm, I'm not particularly cool with that. One more question, follow-up question on this, uh, Stefan. So instead of viewing the fee in USD denomination, do I just need to start looking at it in terms of SATs now so that I can reconcile what's going on and be able to transact on-chain? I mean, sure. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, the, I think at the end of the day, right, if you're a hardcore Bitcoiner and you think Bitcoin has become the money of the world, then sure, yeah, look at things in BTC terms, right? Like, if it costs you 20,000 sats to get into the next block, then uh, it's, that's a one way to make sure that uh, you've got the right count uh, or the right uh, size UTXOs, right? Like, I think a decent... Uh, threshold is about 1 million sats, right? I think that's a decent threshold that you're unlikely to run into trouble with. Uh, and so that's one thing you can do. The other aspect is if you are regularly transacting on-chain, now, I, you know, I personally, I'm more regularly transacting using Lightning, so it's not as much of a problem for me. But if you're regularly transacting on-chain, then there's a chance your wallet is naturally going to be consolidating and just sort of doing these things for you. I think the issue is more about if you are a person who is stacking and below, you know, at lower thresholds, so let's say you're, you've got some UTXOs that are like 50,000 sats or 100,000 sats, that's where you may start to get a bit dicey, right? Because imagine if you have a 100,000 Satoshi UTXO, so for people who aren't familiar, like it's like a piece of Bitcoin, uh, but then you have to spend a 20,000 sats to move it, then it's kind of like, oh, wow, I'm paying 20% fee. That's crazy, right? So that's where you could run into issues if you're not careful about that. All right. And just, and just to clarify, the fee that you pay when you're moving around your UTXO, when you're spending your Bitcoin, it, it's, it's independent of the amount of Bitcoin you're spending, Right. It purely has to do with how many UTXOs you're putting as inputs and how many outputs you're spending too. And the so, script type. So for example, Taproot yeah, is cheaper and things like that. So there's a few things that kind of go into it. But yeah, the most important factor in that calculation is normally how many UTXOs are in that transaction because that's the big factor that drives the size in uh, data for that transaction, which in turn, that's what you're paying in terms of fees to get your transaction into a block, basically. Yeah. And so, for example, with UTXO management, if you're consolidating a bunch of UTXOs, right, you're going to be putting a ton of inputs into your transaction. It's going to be a very expensive transaction. This is the reason why it's really important <laughs> to do these things when transaction fees are low, because as soon as they start getting high, right, I mean, if you're talking about the difference between like a two SAT per V byte 
transaction fee and a 200 sat per vbyte transaction fee you're literally going to pay 100 times more you know so in, in the beginning you might have paid like a nickel or a dime worth of sats and now you're going to be paying like you know five or ten bucks every single time you want to consolidate and might even get worse in the future so you know you gotta you gotta clean up house while you still can hey we're while you guys are on that topic can i ask a question yep sure. the, yeah. the, the rules are don't ask if you can ask just ask okay right on so um I'm newer to the Lightning Network, right? And uh, I'm uh, actually actively trying to spend down here where I'm at. And I've been waiting for uh, OnChain to switch to Lightning um, for like two days uh, because I didn't change the sats. It's it's wanting me to pay like 33,000 sats, which uh, feels a lot. And I don't really know if that's like is some way in, I'm listening right now, but I don't know. Maybe the, they have a compilation of UTXOs on the Lightning Network that they're waiting on because I can actually send on chain the the amount that I need to send for less than what it, it's trying to convert on the Lightning Network. So can yeah. somebody kind of kind of so explain that to me? You, like, just walk us through me. which are you which particular Lightning wallet so, or app are you using here? Yeah, yeah. So right now I'm on Phoenix, uh, Phoenix Wallet, and. Uh, and uh, just waiting on the conversion and it's just it's like $13 or something which I can send from a different wallet for like I don't know 6,000 sats or something like that or at least I could this morning so part of the reason may just be that the fees have spiked just recently uh so you might have to you know you might make that call of like oh okay do I just wait for the fees to come back down a little bit and in your Phoenix wallet, you will have a setting where you can manually adjust the amount you're willing to pay, right? So if you're That's really right, impatient, yeah, yeah. you want it now. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, I had it set at originally 5,000, which was like a dollar 75 or something like that. And, uh, and I, I waited like 24 hours. I didn't get it. And now it's up to like 33,000. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm not going to pay the $15. I'll just make the transaction on chain. But I really didn't understand why, like, I can make it on chain for so much cheaper than I can in the Lightning Network. Like, who, like, where is that, uh, Delta in, um, money coming from right where's that delta yeah that spread coming from who's getting, so, who's getting the money so let me explain that so with phoenix what it's doing is you can receive on chain but it needs to be spliced into your lightning channel and if you have other inputs that's where coming to what wicked was saying you might have multiple utxos going into that transaction and that may be what's driving the cost of that transaction up so I think one way to think about it is if you're staying in Lightning, it's kind of easier and it's cheaper because you're not having to touch the chain. But when you have to do chain on-chain operations, that's where it's costing you more. And so that might be why in that particular example, it's costing more to do that operation. It might just relate to the composition of your wallet of what other things you have in that wallet. Um, so, you know, no easy answer. I think at the end of the day, though, you have to think about your use case, right? So, for example, if you have Phoenix and you are regularly receiving, you're going to pay, end up paying a lot of on-chain unless you've already got the inbound capacity for that. Um, did I lose you there or do you, do you sort of following me there? Yeah, for, so, sort of following you. So are you saying as long as I have the on-chain uh, uh, real Bitcoin in that Phoenix wallet, that even if I uh, receive an inbound uh, transaction, that it will it's okay at that point, I won't be uh, uh, spending the same amount? 
Yeah, so let me explain it this way. So what you're talking about there is inbound capacity. So that, as an example, let's say your Phoenix wallet has $1,000 of inbound capacity, right? That means you can receive up to you know, $999 without having to go on chain. So you could receive that on Lightning and not have to actually touch the chain. But if you wanted to receive more than that over Lightning, now you're having to hit the chain and now you're having to pay on-chain fees. So it, what I'm trying to point out for you here is this idea that if you have enough like if you're using it as a day-to-day -day wallet and you're spending and receiving out of it, you might be in a better position where maybe you have enough inbound capacity that you don't have to go on chain. You get me? Uh, yeah, understood. So one last question, um, and forgive me for my ignorance here, but I was under the impression that you could not receive inbound from on chain onto your lightning uh, channel from outside. It had to kind of come on chain on your phoenix wall and then you could convert it or it would convert automatically is that not the case can can uh so you uh, can do both you can do either can, so, so phoenix so gives you the option of either okay so i guess yeah. my question is can a bitcoin address uh external send to the lightning channel directly because you can toggle back and forth there or is it no it's not okay. quite so it's more like an in-between step so in your phoenix wallet if you set receive it will then send to your on-chain address and then, then after that, Phoenix has got it kind of waiting. And then once, you know, the fee go be goes below your threshold, 5,000 sats or 20,000 sats or whatever you set, then it splices it into a channel. You follow me? Yeah, that's what I thought. And that's what I've been waiting on uh, right now. So I guess for, for all intents and purposes, I'm probably just going to make an on-chain transaction. And I didn't really have any other UTXOs that were in the compilation of that inbound because it was coming from, it was actually coming from an exchange, right? I had just purchased it off yeah. the exchange to throw in there. So I can't imagine that, the, that it was weighted heavy in UTXOs uh, in that capacity, right? Because I would think yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be so. Yeah, I mean, well, that... it just kind of yeah, it kind of depends on your setup, you know. So it's kind yeah. of yeah. I mean, the point I guess would just be you have to consider that aspect, like because especially with on-chain fees rising, it, it is going to be you know more costly to use a non-custodial Lightning wallet. Now, of course, not your keys, not your coins, um, but it that's the that's the price we have to pay. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for the explanation. Who who was that I was talking to? I didn't even look. I was. That's Stefan. Stefan. Yeah. That's thanks, Stefan Levera and cool, Stefan Levera. Thank thanks for coming up, Jake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. Stefan Levera is an absolute treasure to the Bitcoin community, in my opinion. Battle axe is not long swords, just saying. I want to say good morning to Bjorn, who is the CEO of Penguin. Uh, these guys are going to be joining us here for the last uh, 20 minutes or so of the show. And we're going to be digging into what Penguin's working on. So just want to say good morning to the other guys uh, from Penguin. Adrian, Patrick, if you guys want to request to come up, we'll grab you guys too. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Alex. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, good morning. In All right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're over on the other side of the world too, aren't you? What time? Uh, and Stefan, you're on the other side of the world as well, aren't you? Yeah, I'm in Dubai. Here it's 8.37 p.m. Awesome. I, I did have a question for you, Stefan. Um, and also, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. What episode are you up to on your podcast? By the way, Stefan Lavera podcast is probably one of the best podcasts in the entire um, ecosystem, in my opinion. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, I'm up to episode 525 that I've released, but I've got one in the tank that I'll be releasing probably tomorrow. So, uh, 
you know, just uh, keeping on, keeping on. I started my show July 2018, but I've been, uh, you know, yelling from the rooftops about Bitcoin since early 2013. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, it just comes down to consistency, I guess. So uh, that's what, that's what it is. How often do you do those? What's your tempo? On average, let's say eight to 10 per month. So kind of like two per week, sometimes more. Okay. We're up to yeah, episode thanks. 477 on Cafe Bitcoin. We're going to catch you. Damn, you guys are catching up. I mean, you guys have a daily show, so uh, <laughs> you'll uh, yeah, surpass kind of me very fast. soon. We got faster blocks for better. I, I, We're doing I, it. Yeah. Wanted to, I wanted to say, for people who aren't familiar with Stefan's show, uh, I, I think Stefan is the podcast host who understands the technology deeply and interviews people who are coming from the technology side a lot of the time, also lots of macro stuff, but can actually have the conversation with them so that those of us who are less technical can understand it. And he's not, I don't understand the technology, so let's not talk about it. He's, so like when there's something you want to understand, just like the question that was just asked, his podcast is the go-to one. To, you want to understand lightning better, splicing better, block size, mempool, all these kinds of things. The conversations that are had on his show uh, have like so much of the technical understanding or the deep understanding that I have on Bitcoin, I credit with listening to his podcast. So um, it's, it's, it's really tremendous. And just to give it a plug in case there are people who don't, who aren't, who aren't familiar with it. It's, um, it's, Hey, it's, thanks, Tamara. I appreciate it. And uh, you know, yeah, love your work also. So thank you. He's probably one of those technically smartest podcast podcasts that there is. I was just going to say, we may catch you up and we're probably going to pass you someday, but your content's probably better than ours. I'm just saying. <laughs> we're all, uh, we're all on the, on the mission. So don't worry. Yeah. We talk about different things, right? Like I, I look at cafe Bitcoin as like the place where new people can come and you can get a base layer of information. And when you're, when you're getting a little more technical and you're starting to figure things out and you have questions like Jake did, Go listen to Stefan's podcast. You want to go deep on the technology. Okay, I guess... Go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, you could do a real, you know, mind melt and have Stefan for the 500th episode, which would just, like, cause a massive Ooh. explosion. I'm just throwing out ideas around there. You know what we should do, Stefan? The the day that we sync up where, where Cafe Bitcoin catches you in number of episodes and we're matching episode number, we should do it that day. We're going <laughs> to yeah. have to sync our Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, we just got to uh, project out the, the block times and uh, project when the uh, the flippening happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, Penguin Group. We've got Bjorn up here, who is the CEO of Penguin Group. We've got uh, Patrick, I believe, on the Rowley handle. Good morning, Patrick, or good, good morning. afternoon, wherever you are. Good in the morning, world. Alex. Yeah, I'm in Texas here, dialing in from Fort Worth. Um, but uh, great to be on the show. And uh, really, um, I've, um, I'd love you to yeah chat with Bjorn about uh, all the great things that Penguin's been doing. We had a fantastic time with you and your team at Swan at the Pacific Bitcoin event um, last month, where we made lots of friends, and it uh, seems that penguins and swans are birds of a feather. So we look forward to lots more uh, work together. 
<laughs> that was witty. I saw what you did there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get, get all the bird gangs together. Quite right. Quite right, Alex. So, um, and it's great to have Stefan up here. I'm um, just FYI. Stefan's been uh, one of my key guiding lights as in the seven years that I've been falling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And uh, I've learned so, so much from him and the guests that he's had on, 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 on his show. So shout out to Stefan. Thank you very much for being such a guiding light for all of us um, in the Bitcoin world. So, um, and I'd love you just, um, yeah, just Bjorn is an absolute legend who first came to Paraguay about five years ago. And um, I was uh, very fortunate enough to be invited to join his team a little over a year ago. And um, please, Bjorn, get on there and tell, t- tell the team your story. How did you f- end up with Penguin and uh, building up uh, what's possibly the most exciting Bitcoin company, aside with the swans, of course, um, kicking off at the moment? Cheers, guys. I'll sign off. <laughs> Thanks, Patty. Thanks, Patty. Well, well, uh, yeah, no, big pleasure to be here. Um, so, so Penguin uh, started a long time ago. I started it as a, as a software company uh, in, in Germany. And, and we ended up in Paraguay, which is, is fairly far away. Um, just as life wants so, so often, it's, it's more or less an odyssey of, 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 of sheer coincidence. Uh, that brought us down here, but but I think um, it, it, yeah, I, I guess when you follow your truth and you follow your path, and sometimes exciting stuff comes out of it. Um, and we really, um, I, I really came down to Paraguay the first time in 2018 um, because there, there was a, a crazy uh, Paraguayan coming coming up to Europe and talking about a school they have here, which, which I, I, I want to share a bit with, with you because it's so it, it's so interesting the idea. So that school they, they, they found in Paraguay um, many years ago, I think it's actually 10 or 15 years ago, uh, it's an agriculture school and the students, they, they go to school for a week and then the next week they work on the field. They grow tomatoes, they, uh, they produce cheese um, and they sell these products and with the money they make from selling these products, they're financing the school. Um, and so it's kind of like self-sustainable. It's not dependent on the government or, or not on the local or any other government uh, or, or subsidies. It just works by, by the money the students make. And, and the students also learn how to, how to work, right? They, they, they actually do something. And by the time they graduate, it's a, it's a three-year program from 16 to 18, normally the students are there. Um, by the time they graduate, they, they know how to run a business and, and to, to do something that that, that will help them to make a living afterwards, which I think is is very, very important, uh, especially in a place like Paraguay, where there's an incredible lack of, of, uh, of opportunities for people. So, so many of their peers that go through a more traditional school, they end up having difficulties um, finding a job. Paraguay is one of these crazy places where uh, 49%, more or less, uh, I think it's actually even more, of the, of, the, of the population earns less than minimum salary, being $300 a month. So, so it's, it's yeah, I mean, if you make minimum salary, you made it, right? Like you, 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 that's the ambition of so many people here. So if you have at all a way of income and to sustain yourself, that, that's, that's tremendously valuable to people here. Um, and, and so this guy presented this uh, school in, 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 in Switzerland and, and he was like, hey, and what are you doing? And I told him, well, I'm having a tech company and I hope one day to go to Silicon Valley and uh, make it a unicorn. And, and he asked, why don't you come down to Paraguay instead? And we teach the kids to program instead of growing tomatoes and then we sell software instead. Uh, and, and I thought that was a 
ridiculous idea at that time. I, I didn't really consider myself going down here. Um, I, I didn't have any connection with South America, nor Spanish, nor, nor anything. And, and it seemed to be very far away from the Silicon Valley. But a year later, um, I, I, I called him, actually. And I was like, hey, like, do you remember me? And um, he was like, yeah, when you come down here, so we can have an asado, which is a barbecue. So it, it was so nice. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to come down. I, I really, it doesn't get out of my head. I, this idea is somehow interesting. And it had to, for me, it had a lot to do with freedom. And back then, like that was 2016, 2018, I finally made it down here. And I, I wasn't a Bitcoiner. I didn't know anything about the community. Uh, I was a tech guy. Um, and, but this idea was very interesting for me of, of, of freedom. Because if you think about having young people learning how to make a living and, and running a school... Um, where where they are able to sustain themselves and even make some more money, and then being able to add technology to that, um, it, it's kind of exciting because you you really like free from the baseline, and then you can build whatever you want with your own with your own work on top of that. And and I I believe today probably like uh, like a lot of community would think that is an interesting thought, um, and 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 so. From, from the Bitcoin community especially, you know, and, but back then, I, yeah, not knowingly, what I'm getting myself into, I came down here, uh, taught those, those, those guys, in, in fact, there's a, a sister school of that in the, in the last piece of rainforest that Paraguay has left uh, around 12 hours away from the capital back then, and uh, called Mbaracayu. Um, fun fact, Paraguay is the only country in the world, I believe, that has the indigenous language as an official language. So in Paraguay, it's Spanish, but it's also Gurani. And so I went to this to this forest reserve, um, same kind of concept, but the, the, the students are only girls from indigenous tribes. Um, and and I, I taught them programming, and, and they are not highly academic trained at all, right? Their, their, their parents literally still go hunting with a spare in the forest. Um, and uh, when, 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 when I spent their three days teaching them, they were the brightest students I've ever had seen. So I was like, that's, I, I was blown away, right, by the fact that, like, like, apparently programming is not an not an academic skill that needs like you know five years in a university, but a tool that you can kind of learn and that is natural to humans to, to use. So so that convinced me to 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 focus on Paraguay. And uh, long story short, um, we started we moved all our operations here, the software company, uh, the teaching, until co before COVID, uh, we taught 2,000 people to program here. Um, and, and with this dream of like making itself sustainable as well, where we would sell software and then use the use the finance, like use the revenues to 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 teach people uh, to to program and make that like a, a circular circular thing that would allow the you know every generation to to be more and more people and to to create more and more uh, programmers that then would create more and more software. Um, and, uh, and 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 well, that didn't really function. <laughs> so as it so often is. Uh, I, I'm only, only telling you the nice side of it, but there, there are many, uh, of course, hardships in, in the middle during the years uh, as you build a company. And one of these was that it just like no one was interested to invest money. We didn't make enough money with building software, so we could the, the school keep running. And we were like, okay, we need one more ingredient. And uh, eventually, I, I learned that Paraguay is one of the biggest exporters of net exporters of renewable energy. Um, Paraguay has one of the biggest generators of energy in the world, which is called Itaipu, 
another Guarani word, which means singing stone. And uh, the, the amount of water that is flowing through that river that this hydroelectric dam is built in is, is, is incredible. The, the hydroelectric dam is smaller than the Three Gorges Dam in China, which is the biggest generator in the world. But in most years, it produces more energy because it got so much water all year round. And for 50 years, that thing is, is here producing energy. Um, and what does Paraguay do with it? Well, nothing. They send it to Brazil at, at cost. Uh, so there is no economic development happening thanks to that energy in Paraguay. Uh, they tried to get some industrial you know, industries come to Paraguay, but that didn't work. So, so they're sitting on this abundant amount of renewable en uh, resource uh, that, that there's just no use case for it. So, so we were like, okay, as tech people, let's build a data center around that, make it useful, um, and uh, make this uh, one of the sources to, to fund the education. And that's really uh, how, we, how, we, how we came in contact, how I came in contact with Bitcoin. Um, so today we've, we've run many more hundreds of students through the boot camp and all financed thanks to the, the, the Bitcoin mining that is, uh, that is hosted at our data centers that we're building there. So that is a little bit of an introduction to, to Penguin and, and how it came about and what we're doing here. And the concept is really to turn electricity into human potential. That's the, that's the idea at core. Wow, what a story. Man, that's incredibly based. Uh, how cool is that? Like, uh, I'm curious, how much energy is the dam or uh, how much energy how how much hydro is it generating so in power terms in, in it's uh it's the installed capacity is 14 gigawatts uh it has 20 turbines 10 of them belong to brazil and 10 of them belong to paraguay um and, and just as a as a as an idea how big that is i don't know if you guys have an idea how big brazil is but when it was created when it was built in the beginning it it, it, it was the source of 80% of, en of the energy consumption of Brazil. And Brazil is like tremendously big, right? So, so it's, it's, and till, still today, like Paraguay's complete consumption, the whole, the whole country uh, on, an, on an average day when it's not especially hot is around two gigawatts. Um, so from the seven gigawatts, it, it barely uses that. We now had a new record. So when it gets really hot in Paraguay, everyone switches on their ACs. And then it got up to like 4.2 or 4.3 gigawatts now, one, one, one peak during the whole year, right? So that's the maximum, maximum. Wow, that's incredible. So for, for people who want to build Bitcoin miners infrastructure over there, you're basically sitting on four gigawatts of, of available power. Correct, correct. At least four gigawatts, yes. And that's incredible. And it's what, What's the estimated... Yeah, usage power usage of the Bitcoin network right now is is it even the whole thing four gigawatts? If anyone happens to know, Stefan, oh, it's bigger than I that. think it's if I may, I, I think it's something between ten and twelve, um, also globally, uh, depending. You know, there's lots that's we Thank don't you. know about. But yeah, okay. Stefan might have better. Okay, so the, right, so the, this is a significant amount of uh, energy, nevertheless. So what's the cost of the power? Like if, if what are they selling it to you? Are they giving it to you? What's the, what's the situation there? So, so the, the cost is around four cents a kilowatt hour, $40 a megawatt hour. Um, but that, that means that you need to put in a significant amount of, of investment into the, the grid because one of the problems really in Paraguay is that the grid is not strong enough um, to distribute the power inside the country. 
So it it, it ends it ends up basically um, distributing um, the 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 energy like I mean generating the energy and then just sending it to Brazil because it's right at the border, right? And so when you want to make this energy useful in the country, you need to build uh, transformation capacity, you need to build transmission, and that is very costly. And, and the government doesn't necessarily have the funds to, to put that in. So that's one like you know huge long-term investment that you need to make. So it's, it's, it's kind of like difficult, right? Because Bitcoin is more, uh, I mean, Bitcoin mining is more a, uh, let's say, very risky business. And when you need to first make a, whatever, 50 or $100 million investment in order to like... Uh, be able to access the energy in the first place. I think that that's that's one of the, the key challenges here, right? And the other the other key challenges is that I mean it, it would be nice if they would just give it to us, be like, here, take it, train our people. That's awesome. But 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 um or, or develop, you know, the digital industry in the country and, and here you get the energy, but but it's not really the case. Um Paraguay is very very conservative and um I think Bitcoin is, is seen as a, you know, as something that is questionable, at best, and and there is a very strong connection in Paraguay with, um, like, one of the directors of Itaipu once told me that he thinks there can only there will only be peace in Paraguay if all the if all the energy that flows down the the, the Paraná River, all the water that flows down that that river that the dam is on is used for the benefit of the population. And and I think that that's kind of like a, a key question, right? Like when you when you consume a large amount of energy, that's maybe like 10 or 20 percent of the country, um, as an industry, how do you make sure that 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 you're creating a positive impact? And and I think with with, with many of our our colleagues um, that, that that come here specifically for Bitcoin mining, um, the main thing that they want to do is they want to use the, the energy at a Possibly lowest rate at the lowest rate possible, right? And and then, well, Bitcoin mining itself as an activity doesn't really create a lot of jobs, right? Of course, it has some nice effects into like maybe the the energy companies able to use the grid more, but but we don't have the same dynamics as you have in Texas where you have a power market. It's way too small for that, right? So so uh, like the question is really like. What, 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 what does the country get out of it? And, and there is no, you, you need to imagine Paraguay like a agriculture focused country with very little industrial development. Um, it's emerging, um, but, but one key asset of course is the energy. So, so I think a strategic question for Paraguay is how to use the energy for the development of the country. And then the question is how does Bitcoin mining fit into that? So if you, if you mine Bitcoin and you have a plan for how to make sure that this somehow benefits the population, I think that's the key thing, right? That's really like what we are after. I mean, we're essentially trying to make the energy useful and convert it and leapfrog, like leapfrog from just exporting a raw resource to, 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 to seeding a digital ecosystem of knowledge and technology-based industries and economies here, right? That's really our big objective. And I think that uh, is why we got some energy, uh, even though like you know a limited amount at, at not the cheapest price, um, but um, but we got at least some, and and I think that is thanks to 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 the fact that we have proven that that we are training thousands of people here and that we're committed to the country, also in the long term. And I think that is what what probably Paraguay is looking for. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
I'm curious, you know, it's like if, if the government there could be encouraged to sell that power in the neighborhood of three or two and a half cents, I bet you the possibility of getting larger capital infrastructure um, committed for mining would be more attractive. Like, I think the really big companies right now, they're looking for like two, two and a half cent, if possible. I mean, I know that's really low, but, and I don't even know if it's possible to do that there, but. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's the, that's the post-halving, right? I mean, we're talking about how, how to go forward with this industry. And, and I think that that's a, that's a key question um, also for the country, right? Like, what does that mean? I mean, and also it means like, what is Brazil willing to pay? To be frank, right? If, if Brazil says, "Well, we're happy to pay three, and 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 Bitcoin miners say, "Well, we need two and a half," then maybe you rather sell it to Brazil, unless there is some economic development happening in your country, right? And I think that's that's kind of one of the key questions to the to the Bitcoin community, I think as well, right? Like, how do we, or to the tech industry overall, like how do we how, how do we help Paraguay to profit from this? Um, well, that, that's just it. I mean, it, if if a large company were to come in there with a large capital investment built out a data center, I'm thinking, for example, like Riot. Riot broke ground on a one gigawatt facility. I don't know how many people they employ there, but it's it's probably a, a good number. And like, you know, the question is, well, how do we give back to the country? I mean, employment and, and high tech jobs and things like that. I would think that that, that would be attractive. Doesn't cut the, the reality is I think if you if you just build a data center it doesn't cut the cake. I, I think I like I, I can give you some numbers which are interesting. So I think um, the country is looking for I, I saw some old documents I don't know how actually, how current they are now but uh, they talked about creating 150 jobs per megawatt. Um, and I can tell you that a data center unless it's immersion where it's probably less. But, but a, an average data center probably will create around one, maybe two direct jobs per megawatt. So, so there's, a, there's a big gap, right? And, and the question is how to, how to close that. So what, what, what we're proposing basically is to overlay, to, to look at the data center as kind of like the raw resource, something like the, the commodity, right? Like it's not really value add by itself, but then it, it enables you to do so many beautiful things on top. Right? It enables you to create an ecosystem of software around it and of platforms. And I think that is where the value is added and where the jobs are created and, and where it has to be identified um, how, how, to, how to also attract this kind of companies um, and, and not only do the, 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 the data center activities, so to say. And that's, that's sure. one of the, 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 the key. The, because then you talk about, right, like if you think how much, how much software development can you put on top of a of a data center? It's close to infinite, yeah. right? I mean, we can come up with endless products that use what we're doing here, um, and and I think that's that's the yeah that's the work that we're on. That's why we're training the people. We're trying to to now for the first time we created uh, we, we 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 did a boot camp where um, afterwards we took the students and we 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 we, taught, we we got them into Bitcoin core development and we're like, hey, have a look here. Um, and so now we got people that, you know, thanks to Bitcoin, were, were trained in, in, in programming, got some experience, and then were brought into Bitcoin core development. So it kind of went full cycle. Um, and, 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 and then, of course, the question is, okay, now we have this talent here. Um, who needs it? And what do we do with it? And how do we attract companies um, to, to make use of this potential, of this human potential that we're building up here? 
It's very cool as a grassroots movement. I want to applaud you guys for what you're doing. Uh, we're pretty much at the end of the show, but I'm interested in getting an update from you guys. If you want to come back sometime, would love to hear about how things are going in a couple of months from now or six months or whatever, just to get a check in on what you're doing. Do you, um, I would ask for questions, but we're out of time. So um, I'm just going to give you guys a couple moments to make some closing comments. You can plug anything you like. How can people help help you or get more involved in what you're doing? Uh, and then we'll move to wrap up. If you need tech talent, if you're looking for an interesting place, some of the Swan people, I think, are moving down to Paraguay, uh, which is kind of a coincidence. So if you guys want to become part of an emerging ecosystem, tech ecosystem, come down here. Uh, reach out if you need Bitcoin Core developers or anything else um, and uh, come by. We have a penguin house that's uh, once a month. We're normally running a boot camp here down in Asuncion. Um, and uh, it has good food. Uh, it uh, has a lovely garden and a pool. So if you have the time and you're around, definitely make sure to come by and, and experience it. That's fantastic. I love the idea of penguin house. <laughs> Let's go. All right. We're going to wrap up. Thanks, guys, for being here. Thank you so much for having us. All right. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. That's it for today. A couple of quick items. Join us for an exclusive live webinar hosted by Swan featuring Lynn Alden. That's going to be tomorrow night, 5 p.m. Eastern. There should be a link around here floating around where you can register for that. Basically, it's going to be a gigantic Zoom meeting. 1,500 people have registered for that just in the last two days. It's crazy. Uh, live Q&A, no cost. Link is around. Uh, hit us up if you, if you want more information about that. Bitcoin Veterans tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we've got Corey Clipston, the CEO of SWAN, joining us. We're going to be talking about the race to avoid the war. We've got a big announcement to make as well. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. If you can't catch the live show, you can throw me or Swan a follow to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin and Marathon, sponsors of the show, our crew, Ant, Peter, Sats for Life, Wicked Dom Bay, producer Jacob, and also Tomer, thanks for co-hosting today. And thanks to Nico, the king of Swan Media, who's helping us out on the Swan handle today. Appreciate all of you guys. I'm your host, Alex Stanzik, work with Swan. Throw me DM if you want to know more. Thanks again to the speakers who come on here every day and the members of the community who share their knowledge, teaching the new people all the time. This is what we call getting on the mission. Love you guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day today and crush it. <laughs>